1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 5, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. Father, help us in the few minutes we have left here this morning to consider your word. Help us, Lord, uh, to, uh, that your spirit might speak to our hearts, and especially as believers, uh, we would understand a little better today than we did when we came in, the richness of our salvation. And Father, we pray for those without Christ, uh, that they would understand that there is a wonderful, wonderful offer on the table, and they need to do something about it. They have to do something about it before they die, lest they spend eternity uh, in experiencing your wrath. Lord, may they come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ, for it's in his name we pray. Amen. We're, we're looking at the shun words. Uh, you say, what are the shun words? They're words like justification, imputation, adoption, redemption, propitiation, reconciliation, regeneration, salvation, sanctification, remission, glorification. Uh, they are words that are fast disappearing from the modern ministry. Uh, they are words that Describe the manifold grace of God in our salvation. Uh, they're profound words. Most of them are judicial words. Most of them have to do with the legal aspects of salvation, things that were done to us and for us as a result of being saved. There's a few that are done in us, and we'll talk about those, but most of them are judicial. We looked at justification by faith. And this was the doctrine that launched the Protestant Reformation in the 1500s in Europe, broke the yoke of Rome politically, spiritually, civilly, and laid the foundation for the faith of those that came across the ocean and gave us the country that we presently today still enjoy. That's how important that moment was when Martin Luther, a Dominican monk, was reading Romans 1 and came across verse 17, <clears throat> and after years of trying to atone for his own sins, to no avail, came across the verse that said, the just shall live by faith. It changed the world. That moment with that one man literally changed the world for centuries to come. And it enlightened him to the concept of justification by faith. We looked at imputation where God imputes his righteousness, puts it to our credit, and then charges Jesus Christ with our sins. For he hath made him to be sin for us, to be, Christ became sin for us. Our sins were imputed to him who knew no sin, that we might be made. We might be made the righteousness of God in him. His righteousness is imputed to us. And we are made in the eyes of God the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We call it the exchanged life. We talked about adoption. The legal judicial act that makes us sons of God and heirs with Israel. 
Then we talked about redemption. The Bible says, in whom we have redemption through his blood, Colossians chapter 1, verse 14, even the forgiveness of sins. God bought us back. He created man in his own image. And man was lost to sin. But he bought us back. And in Jesus Christ, we are his again. We are no longer lost, but saved. Today, we're going to look at propitiation. And I took you to 1 Timothy chapter 2. Propitiation is the payment made to get two back together who are at enmity. They're enemies. The Bible tells us in the book of Ephesians that we are, we're alienated from God by our wicked works, our allegiance to the prince of this world. Uh, we just naturally repelled against everything that was holy. And we were at enmity against God. We, we are the one that, <coughs> to use the expression, poked the bear in the eye. We're the ones that picked the fight. And so there was enmity. And a propitiation needed to be made. I take you to 1 Timothy 2.5 because of the uniqueness of this propitiation. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. Christ himself as the mediator would not only mediate this settlement to bring us back to God and remove the enmity, but he himself would be the propitiation. Furthermore, God, who was the offended party, would be the one to provide the propitiation itself. When I think of the word grace, all of that just falls under the umbrella of that wonderful word. I, I'm just, Peter talked about the manifold grace of God. This idea of God himself brokering the deal by making the full payment with his son. And his son being the mediator <coughs> of this settlement, himself being the propitiation. I marvel once again this morning at the manifold grace of God. Take your Bibles and go to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2, and 1 John chapter 2, and verse 1. My little children, by the way, if you're saved here this morning, and you're 30 years old, you're one of his little children. If you're saved here this morning, and you're 40 years old, you're one of his little children. If you're saved here this morning and you're 50 years old, you're one of his little children. My wife and I have reached an age, everybody under 50 is a kid. Our oldest kid is 46. Anybody under 50 is a kid. If you're 60 years old, you're one of his little children. If you're 80 years old, you're still one of his 
little children. You want the fountain of youth? There it is, folks. There it is. Though the outward man perish, yet the inward man is renewed day by day. My little children, these things write I unto you that ye sin not. And if any man sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Now, look at the first part of that statement. I write unto you that ye sin not. Look, God doesn't want us to sin. Sin is destructive. It robs God of the fellowship with us that he deserves. It puts up a barrier between us and God. It short circuits the fruit of the Spirit. And you know what the fruit of every sin is? In the end, it's misery. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. But all these things we're looking at, in all these things we're looking at, God is providing a solution to sin. He doesn't want us to sin. But if any man sin, look at the verse, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. Verse 2, and he is the propitiation. He is that payment for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the sins of what? The whole world. Now look. You believe in five-point Calvinism, I'm not picking a fight with you. But I'm going to tell you right now, there is no such thing as limited atonement. Christ died for the sins of the whole world. God is not going to make offers to whosoever will when he doesn't mean what he's saying. And if blood wasn't shed for every man then God could not say through Peter that God's not willing that any should perish because if the atonement isn't for everyone, then he is willing that most people perish. And that's not the God of the Bible. Take a look at chapter 4. Take a look at chapter 4 and verse 10. Propitiation, that payment made to bring two parties that are enmity back together again. Verse 10, herein is love. Not that we loved God, but that he, you know, I just had a thought. How many of you guys, now ladies, cut your husband a dispensation of grace for about a minute here, okay? Because I don't want him to be afraid to answer this honestly. How many of you have ever been in the doghouse and you bought some flowers or made, or made a um, reservation at a fondue restaurant to atone. Go ahead. I, I, your, your wife is going to cut you slack here. I just thought to myself, that's propitiation. <laughs> I, I say fondue restaurant because I don't know of any man that wants to go to a fondue restaurant. Spend four hours rolling little tiny appetizers around on a hot plate. Spend ten times the amount of money 
he would at the steakhouse and get back in his vehicle and drive home hungry. <laughs> Gals, if your husband has ever taken you to a fondue restaurant, that is proof that he loves you, even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Amen, guys? I remember one time, and I, I there's been several times in our marriage, 47 years, you, you know, that... That's 70 times 7. You, you, you practically obliterate that. And it was one of those rare moments where the, I, I, I went to say something and I had a little bit of a hesitation and I should have listened to that hesitation. And the minute I said it, I knew I stepped right in it. And she gave me that look. And that look is this, guys. If you haven't been, if you're not married or you haven't been married at least a year, it is a look that any husband knows. And it's a look that says, and she doesn't have to say a word, it's a look that says, I will make you wish you were never born. <laughs> and a guy can't get, I mean, I mean a, guy, a, a soldier on the battlefield can't give that look the way an angry wife can. And I just, the minute I said it and she gave me the look, and I was like, what to do? What to do? Well, after I got out of the house, got on the phone with my daughter. I told her what happened. She said, Dad. I said, I know. <laughs> I need your help. <laughs> I'm not thinking clearly. She said, I hate to say it, Dad. Fondue restaurant. <laughs> Has it come to that? Yes. <laughs> so I called. I made the reservation. And lo and behold, they must run into this a lot. Because I said, I, I heard you, you have flowers. You can have flower arrangements sitting right on the table when we show up. Yes. I mean, more than one guy was getting his way out of the doghouse through going to that restaurant. She said, what kind of arrangement do you want? She said, what's the occasion? Anniversary? No. <laughs> Is it some sort of celebration of some sort? No. <laughs> I said, and then she goes, well, what is it? I said, I'm in the doghouse. She goes, I have just the arrangement. <laughs> Propitiation. <laughs> Propitiation. Herein is love, verse 10. Not that we love God, but that he loved us. And said, how many of you guys married over your head? I got a great wife. I've said it before. Anyone married to, anyone married to a preacher? I told her, I said, honey, if I get the crown of glory, if I get the, the, the under shepherd's crown, I'm just turning, I'm, I handed it to you. Just handed it to her. Herein is love. Not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Folks, I've said it to you before. I'll say it again. The way we learn to love God more is by, is by studying what he's done for us. 
and understanding more and more his love for us. And our love for him is a response to that. Look at verse 19. Look at verse 19. Look at verse 19. Very simply put, as John does in, in his three epistles, we love him. Why? <laughs> you know, there's a kind of a religious so-called love of God that really isn't a love of God. It's a self-righteous, I'm really holy, look at me, and God's lucky to have me kind of love. That's not, that's not biblical love for God. Biblical love God for God is we love him, verse 19, because he first loved us. And folks, when you consider propitiation, when you, when you consider God is the offended party, he's the one that steps up and provides the payment. When you consider that Jesus Christ is a mediator and he himself steps up and becomes the propitiation, we love him because he first loved us. Let's look at one more. Take your Bibles and go to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. And we'll look at one more this morning, and we'll look at reconciliation. Now, reconciliation is a result of propitiation, but one thing that must be understood is that we must receive it before the deal is consummated. We have to sign on the dotted line, if you will. The Bible says he came unto his own in John chapter 1, but his own received him not, but to as many as received him. Them gave you the power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Romans chapter 5, and take a look at verse 10. Romans chapter 5, verse 10. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. There was enmity. We'd pick the fight with God. You know, you ever see somebody pick a fight and you go, no, don't pick a fight with that guy. Or don't pick a fight with them. That's not a smart idea. And history is replete with countries that went to war with other countries and they should have left it alone. And I think of, of all things, picking a fight with God. And, and through Christ, through that propitiation, through our mediator, we are reconciled to God by the death of his son. M much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. But notice verse 11. Not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, you know what, I don't, I don't really believe as an unsaved person you, you can be happy in, in the real sense of the word, that you can have real joy. And you know why that is? Because all of your joy, happiness, fun, uh, whatever adjective you want to use to describe it, it's all in the temporal. It all has an end. And, and it can all turn. And what was once wonderful can turn tragic. And, and as a lost person, we don't, 
we don't enjoy the eternal. But as a saved, we sure do. We have that which is not subject to circumstances. If you're saved here this morning, the only way your joy can be lost is if you forfeit it. If you give it away. If you concede it. But as a believer, and I've watched it in the lives of so many, where all the circumstances turned against them, and circumstantially, you would think they have no reason to have joy, but they have the peace of God that passes all understanding. And they can rejoice in the most difficult of circumstances. And we look at verse 11, and that's what Paul's talking about. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, look at the beginning of the chapter. Look at verse 1. Therefore, being justified by faith, we looked at that verse last week, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. <clears throat> and not only so, but we glory in tribulations. That's not a circumstance that we want, but we can glory in it, knowing that tribulation worketh patience and patience experience. And experience hope, and hope maketh not ashamed, because the love of God is shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Ghost, which is given unto us. Even though a lot of these shun words are, are legal aspects of salvation that take place in God's courtroom, they're declarations by God himself, the judge, of our acquittal. The practical effect of it is joy and peace in this life of which Job said that man is born into what? Trouble as the sparks fly upward. I was watching an interview of a man there on Maui literally sitting on a rock in the midst of the rubble which was once his house, single young man, and he talked about having to actually flee for his life with others and then they were heading one direction and the fire shifted, the wind shifted the other direction. Long story short, they ended up uh, jumping into the ocean for protection. And he talked about at one point where the fire was, was on the other side of a road and, and, and they thought they were okay, but then these sparks started popping up and landing on their side and starting all these fires. And Job said, man is born into trouble as the sparks fly upward. But look again at verse 11. Look again at verse 11. And not only so, but we also joy in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom we have now received the atonement. I'm going to close by saying this. Reconciliation only takes place if the atonement is received. It's not automatic. Uh, his righteousness is not automatically imputed to us against our will. We must make a choice. Someone said, who would refuse a pardon? Who would refuse a pardon? In 1829, two men, George Wilson and James Porter, robbed a United States mail carrier. 
Both were subsequently captured and tried in a court of law. In May 1830, both men were found guilty of six charges, including robbery of the mail and putting the life of the driver in jeopardy. Both Wilson and Porter received their sentences, execution by hanging, to be carried out on July 2nd. Now, I want you to notice something that's pretty unique to the concept, uh, context of our times. The trial took place in May, and they were to be executed in July. <laughs> this thing didn't get drug out for 10 years. Oh, and uh, essentially they got, they got uh, execution by hanging for putting the life of the driver in jeopardy. I wonder how that would be working in some of our big cities where people are peacefully protesting and burning the place down and shooting at police. I wonder if a little of this was applied. Things might be a little different right now. Just a little side note. But here's what's interesting. Porter was executed on schedule, but Wilson was not. Influential friends pleaded for the mercy to the President of the United States, Andrew Jackson, on his behalf. President Jackson issued a formal pardon, dropping all charges. Wilson would not be executed, but would serve a prison term of 20 years for his other crimes. Incredibly, George Wilson refused the pardon. An official report stated Wilson chose to, quote, waive and decline any advantage or protection which might be su supposed to arise from the pardon, unquote. Wilson also stated that he had nothing to say it did not wish in any manner to avail himself in order to avoid sentence, unquote. He said, well, what did the courts do? The U.S. Supreme Court determined, quote, the court cannot give the prisoner the benefit of the pardon unless he claims the benefit of it. It is a grant to him. It is his property, and he may accept it or not as he pleases. Chief Justice John Marshall wrote, quote, a pardon is an act of grace proceeding from the power entrusted with the execution of the laws. But delivery is not completed without acceptance. It may then be rejected by the person to whom it is tendered, and we have no power in a court to force it on him. And so George Wilson was executed. Folks, we're halfway through these, these, these shun words, and I think we'd all agree that God's done some wonderful things on our behalf through Jesus Christ. But if you're here in the building this morning or looking in live stream and you've never received Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you've never accepted this pardon that God offers you, it isn't going to do a thing for you. You must make that decision to trust Christ 
as your personal Savior. Let's bow for a word of prayer. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed this morning. Billy Graham used to call the invitation that holy moment. And so here we are right now in that holy moment. And maybe you're looking in live stream, maybe you're here in the congregation with us this morning and you've not received Christ as your personal Savior. I'm not talking about receiving baptism. I'm not talking about receiving church membership. I'm talking about putting your faith in the finished work of Christ, that death, that burial, and that resurrection on your behalf. May I invite you this morning to receive him by faith. Bow your head, bow your heart, and say to him something like this. The words aren't nearly as important as the attitude of the heart and the sincerity. Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I know that I've sinned against you, and I know I, know I deserve eternal punishment as a result. But I thank you this morning that you sent your son to be the propitiation for my sins, to remove the enmity between you and I, that we might be reconciled. And I now receive him as my Savior. I believe that he died and rose again on my behalf. And I thank you that that blood was shed, and I, I ask him to be my Savior right now. Do you know, the Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. And every one of us here is a whosoever. The only difference is some of us have called upon him and some have not. Would you call upon him even right now? Where you sit, where you look in, will you call upon him? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. Thank you for reconciling us to yourself through the death of your son, propitiation for our sins, the mediator of the New Testament, for it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and take our hymnals and turn to number 122, number 122.
close us in a word of prayer. Let's pray. Jenna, Father, Father, we thank you for the preaching this morning. We thank you for the mission. We thank you for uh, that precious salvation. We thank you for the grace. Father, we just uh, thank you for it. We thank you for your mercy. Lord, that you bestow upon us every day. Lord, we just ask you to put somebody in our world that needs that precious salvation. Just be there a week. And Lord, give us a goal to obtain that. And Lord, we just ask for travel mercy home. Thank you for your grace again. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.